Hey friends, welcome to Moments to Ponder. This is a podcast designed to help you spend a few moments in God's Word and take away something to ponder. I'm Betsy Marvin, and I'm so grateful for these few moments we have together to ponder the book of Esther. If you do subscribe, thank you. I did miss posting last week, but we're back on track today. This is episode 78. I discovered my love of history in college. I had always enjoyed historical books and museums, but in college I found myself actually looking forward to reading the textbooks. As I studied the Greeks and the Middle Ages, the Renaissance and the Reformation, I took it all in. But there are moments in history that are so hard. They're even brutal. The Black Plague, the Crusades, the Holocaust, and this part of Esther's story. Haman's decree empowered those who hated the Jews to kill them and take what they wished. Mordecai's decree gave the Jews permission to defend themselves and take what they wished. And on March 7, 473 BC, the king's decrees through these men were lived out. As the enemies came, the Jews took a stand and defended their homes. It was war in the streets, neighbor against neighbor. So on March 7, the two decrees of the king were put into effect. On that day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, but quite the opposite happened. It was the Jews who overpowered their enemies. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the king's provinces to attack anyone who tried to harm them. But no one could take a stand against them, for everyone was afraid of them. And all the nobles of the provinces, the highest officers, the governors, and the royal officials helped the Jews for fear of Mordecai. For Mordecai had been promoted in the king's palace, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces as he became more and more powerful. So the Jews went ahead on that appointed day and struck down their enemies with the sword. They killed and annihilated their enemies and did as they pleased with those who hated them. In the fortress of Susa itself, the Jews killed 500 men. They also killed Parshadatha, Dalphon, Aspatha, Poratha, Adalya, Ardialtha, Parmashta, Arishahi, Aridahi, and Vayezatha, the ten sons of Haman the son of Madatha, the enemy of the Jews. But they did not take any plunder. Let's think about that for a minute. This statement will be repeated a few times in this chapter. They did not take any plunder. They had royal permission to do so, but I think this detail shows us something. It shows us that they were not out to benefit from this day, but just wanted to rectify the wrong that King Saul had done when he faced the Amalekites in 1 Samuel 15. And when we read of Haman's sons, we need to remember that the Jews could only defend themselves, which leads us to understand that these sons of Haman were attacking the Jews, maybe even leading the charge, and they lost their lives in the fight. Let's continue in verse 11. That very day, when the king was informed of the number of people killed in the fortress of Susa, he called for Queen Esther. He said, 
The Jews have killed 500 men in the fortress of Susa alone, as well as Haman's 10 sons. If they have done that here, what has happened in the rest of the provinces? But now, what more do you want? It will be granted to you. Tell me, and I will do it. Esther responded, If it please the king, give the Jews in Susa permission to do again tomorrow as they have done today. And... Let the bodies of Haman's ten sons be impaled on a pole. So the king agreed, and the decree was announced in Susa, and they impaled the bodies of Haman's ten sons. Then the Jews at Susa gathered together on March 8 and killed 300 more men. And again, they took no plunder. Now, this request from Esther feels like a bit much. It feels unmerciful. The Jews were able to defend themselves, and many of their enemies were killed, yet Esther asks for one more day to continue to decree, and I've always found that strange. Yet, when we read that 300 more men were killed, we see that her approach was wise. She wasn't going to settle for anything less than total victory. I have to wonder if she was remembering the stories of Joshua in the history of the Israelites. For when the Israelites took the promised land, they left a remnant of refugees at times. But wherever they did this, the evil grew up again and again. And although this can feel like a lack of mercy, remember that the Jews only defended themselves. So if the Persians did not attack, no one would have been killed. Yet even after a day of bloodshed, 300 more men rose up against them. It just shows us how deep the hatred of the Jews ran. Verse 16. Meanwhile, the other Jews throughout the king's provinces had gathered to defend their lives. They gained relief from all their enemies, killing 75,000 of those who hated them. But they did not take any plunder. This was done throughout the provinces on March 7, and on March 8 they rested, celebrating their victory with a day of feasting and gladness. The Jews at Susa killed their enemies on March 7 and again on March 8, then rested on March 9, making that their day of feasting and gladness. So to this day, rural Jews living in remote villages celebrate an annual festival and holiday on the appointed day in late winter when they rejoice and send gifts of food to each other. Esther 9, 1 through 19. As I've pondered this section of chapter 9, I've been praying over what we can apply to our lives today. So much of it is foreign to our way of living. But I found myself thinking about this phrase, good enough. Have you ever used it? Have you ever said, ah, that's good enough? I know I do, and it's probably more than I should. I'm not a perfectionist, so I'm okay when things are just good enough. I mean, not everything. But for instance, when I park my car and I'm not perfectly straight, I think, hmm, I'm between the lines. That's good enough. Or recently, when I was cleaning out the flower beds, I did not get every last fallen leaf. Honestly, it was good enough. Yet, there are times when good enough isn't enough. Some things cannot be compromised. When a mechanic is working on the brakes of my car, I don't want him to say, huh, 
that's good enough. Or when a surgeon is removing a cancerous tumor, we don't want to hear her say, hmm, I think I got it enough. I mean, maybe you notice that when Haman is at the second banquet of Esther and he pleads for his life, he doesn't in any way repent of his actions or say he was wrong. The evil ran deep in him and Esther saw it for what it was. I mean, when we deal with evil, we can't compromise. Just a few weeks ago, we spoke about roots and weeds. We can't leave the roots of a weed because it will just grow back. Esther knew that winning the battle on the first day wasn't winning the war. The roots of hatred against the Jews needed to be dealt with. No compromising. This is where the verses from Ephesians 6 come to mind. When Paul writes, A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of an unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Esther is standing against the strategy of the devil as she fights a larger battle than the human one that we're reading about in chapter 9. And although moments like this in history are really hard, They stand as a reminder that evil is real, and it has to be dealt with. Esther 9.1 reads, On that day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, but quite the opposite happened. It was the Jews who overpowered their enemies. The Jews obviously had enemies, but the Jews overpowered them all. Verses 2 and 3 go on to say, But no one could make a stand against them. For everyone was afraid of them, and all the nobles of the provinces, the highest officers, the governors, and the royal officials, all helped the Jews for fear of Mordecai. No one could stand against them. They were helped by the officials and the nobles and the governors. And just as the Jews had the king's resources on their side, we have the resources of the king of the universe on our side. If you're a follower of Jesus, You know that we're called to love our enemies, to extend forgiveness and turn the other cheek. So accounts like this one can seem brutal and conflicting when we think of a loving God. Yet I think this is where we see how seriously God takes evil. He loves his children and he wants us to love each other. Yet we have to stand against the strategies of the devil. I love grace and mercy especially when it's extended to me. But there are times when we have to take a stand and it's hard and it can be painful. Yet if we allow the situation to continue thinking it's good enough, we may see harm and issues arise. And sometimes the most merciful thing we can do is stand. As Jesus faced the cross, He knew that a full price had to be paid as he stood against evil. His perfect life wasn't enough. Teaching his disciples wasn't enough. And even taking a beating wasn't enough. He had to conquer death and rise. No compromise. And because of his total victory, we can be victorious as we stand strong in the Lord. 
Just as God supplied Esther with all she needed to save her people, He supplies us with all we need to stand for Him in our world today. If we continue in that section of Ephesians 6, it says, Put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Hmm. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Yes, there are some things in life that can be good enough, but when it comes to resisting our spiritual enemy, we can't compromise. Righteousness and peace and salvation and our shield of faith are critical to our walk. Oh, dear one, you are loved, and you're filled with the power of His Spirit. So may you live into the total victory found in Christ, putting on every piece of His spiritual armor as you stand against the evil in our world that would seek to derail you as you live your life for Him. May we learn from this piece of Esther's story that it's important to stand firm. And remember, if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen.